You can't negotiate with it. You can't compromise with it. You can't reason with it. You can either surrender to it or kill it. Sin, that is the subject of today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Join us. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Hi there, and welcome to this edition of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We're continuing our journey through Romans. Today, we have a very important view of sin, and it's important because the consequences of sin are really quite deadly. Your eternal life hangs in the balance, as it were. You see, we can't just brush sin aside. We can't just dismiss it. It has to be severely dealt with as the cross so poignantly brings out. Join us for more as we take a look at Romans chapter seven. Here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. See, I really believe that Romans seven verses 14 to 25 describes probably one of the most mature Christians there ever could be. Why do you say that? Well, I say that because He sees so clearly the inability of his flesh to uphold the divine standard. The more a believer matures, the more spiritual a believer is, the greater his sensitivity is to the shortcomings in his own life. You take an immature Christian, he doesn't really have an honest perception of himself. I mean, he's kind of high on his salvation and, you know, he's talking all this smack and, you know, boy, he's going to change the world and boy and it's great to have that kind of enthusiasm but you just kind of smile and go okay (laughs) you know you wait call me tomorrow when you've done something that totally dishonors the savior that just saved you tell me how you feel then see it's only the legalist who is under the illusion that he's so spiritual it's not the mature believer and i believe paul here is describing himself in this chapter And he uses I, 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 my, me, mine, over and over and over. It would be hard to understand that he's describing somebody else. Now, some people say that this describes Paul's struggle before he was saved or even when he just got saved or he's still spiritually immature. But I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that discernment at all, that understanding at all. I think it describes him at the very heights of his Christian maturity because he's being open, he's being honest. He understands that he's never going to live up in this life to God's holy standard. Remember, oh, how high is God's standard? Remember what they asked Jesus. Well, how do we get into, you know, uh, what do we have to do to get into heaven? How, how good do we have to be? And what did Jesus say? You have to be what? Perfect as my father's in heaven. Well, that kind of closes the book on a lot of people. It's like, you know, head back to the back of the line there, pal. You're up here all thinking you're Mr. Christian and you're perfect. Well, you're not. He finds himself really confronted with the ugliness of sin in his life. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is also written by Paul. Is this Roman's place, the only place that Paul describes himself as this Christian in turmoil with the struggle of sin? No. In his other writings, he does as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verses 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, (laughs) bottom of the barrel, end of the line, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, don't you just love the buts of scripture? I do. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Paul didn't feel fit to be an apostle because he had once persecuted the church. Look over at Ephesians chapter 3. Now remember, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians was written before Ephesians. So look at chapter 3, verse 8. So this is a little later on in Paul's Christian walk. And he says in verse 8, chapter 3, Ephesians, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He seems a little more humble there. Look over at 1 Timothy. Keep turning to your right. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. So he wrote this after he wrote Ephesians. A little later on. It says, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, pointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent... But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Paul is saying, if God can save me, he can save anybody. He experienced God's power, his wisdom, his knowledge. That's what happens when you grow in your relationship with Christ. You take a new believer, man, they're ready to conquer the world. You take a seasoned saint, they're going, okay, let me pray about that first. (laughs) You know, they understand. And now go back to Romans 7 because he clearly uses some terms here in Romans 7 that you can't miss his personal struggle with sin. Verse 15, we talked about this, that he hates committing sin. Verse 19 and 21, it says that he loves righteousness. 22 says that he delights in the law of God from the bottom of his heart, basically. Verse 25 says that he thanks God for deliverance in Christ. I mean, I would say that those are all responses of a mature Christian. That's not some new believer. You may have also realized that in verses 7 to 13 of Romans 7, when he's talking here, he's talking in the past. All the tenses are in the past. Verse 9, I was once alive apart from he goes down, down through that whole text and he's talking about something in the past. And then in verse 14, all of a sudden, the tense changes to the present tense. So it tells us that Paul moved out of the past tense before he was redeemed into the present tense. And along with that came a different relationship to sin. Look at verse, verse 11, Romans 7 verse 11. It says, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, past tense, and through it killed me. Sin killed Paul's hope. Sin killed Paul's security. Security in what, you might say? In his self-righteousness. In the law of God. But then all of a sudden in verses 15 to 25, you see Paul alive and he's fighting with sin. So I clearly believe that verses 14 to 25 is Paul's own personal testimony of how to live a a spirit-controlled God-honoring life. He loves God's law, but he finds himself wrapped in this 
human flesh and unable to fulfill the way his heart wants to go. So it describes the conflict of a mature Christian man, not some little baby Christian that's struggling with sin. And what does that tell us? That tells us that the struggle with sin does not go away, beloved, until we leave this place. We all struggle with sin. And we all deal with the struggle with sin in different ways. I mean, clearly, he's thinking of this victory over sin. And clearly, he wants that victory to be ours. And clearly, he understands that it can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ. But he wants us to understand very clearly, I think, the Apostle Paul, that this victory will only come through struggle. It's not handed to us on a silver platter. We don't get saved and then go, you know, dancing through the bed of roses, you know, on our way to glory. No. We return to a sinful, dying world filled with sin all around us. We're still trapped in this body. And so how do we deal with this? How do we deal with this struggle against sin? James Boyce points this out and he says, Americans, he calls it the American way. (laughs) Americans deal with it in three ways. First of all, they look for a new formula. The first way we try to avoid this struggle with sin in our Christian lives is by hunting down some new easy formula that will bring us victory. It takes various forms. He says, discovering a Christian book that will tell us exactly what we need to do following a three-step or four-step recipe for growth in the Christian life. Ceasing to do some easy things like going to the movies or something like that. Starting to do more difficult things like attending seminars. Things like, you need to get out of Romans 7 and into Romans 8. Let go and let God. Get self off the throne of your life and put Christ there. Just let Jesus take control. We've all probably heard those things. We've all probably said those things. But the underlying motivation of those attempts is really laziness. Do you understand that When God saved you, he saved you to struggle. If he wouldn't have, you'd be out of here the moment you're saved. When you come to Christ, if that wasn't God's plan, the moment you're saved, man, you'd just be transported to glory. Why leave you here? What would be the purpose in that? No, there's there's a purpose in our struggle with sin. And see, us as Americans think, well, we have to struggle with sin, and and we just got to find something that we can plug in and just take care of that struggle. Or read a little book or a track or something. Something's got to work. And that's why you have Christians all over the globe looking for a little niche, looking for something new. And usually it's the false teachers that prey upon that desire. So they publish certain books and they'll publish stuff out. Oh, you can live this victorious Christian life. You know, if you just follow this formula or pray this prayer every day or do this or do that. And Christians by the hordes follow it. What Paul is saying is that, you know what? We need to understand the Christian life is a hard life by its very nature. It's not easy. Somehow we think that we're not doing it right if it's hard. That if we're not, you know, rolling in the money and have no health problems and all our kids lined up, ducks in a row, everything's good, well, then God's blessing us. No. See, we'll never find that formula because, honestly, it doesn't exist. And so we buy into certain things and then we find ourselves right back in the same Sinful behavior we did before, thinking, well, maybe that'll work. Man, I went to that seminar. They promised it would work. It didn't work. You know, whatever it might be. That struggle is there for a purpose. And it's not to excuse sin. We're not doing that. 
But at the same time, you have to realize and you have to be realistic about who you are in Christ. Positionally, you're forgiven. You're perfect. You're holy. You're a, you're a child of God. Practically, you know what? You're just a saved sinner that's kicking dust up as you go through this sinful, sinful world. Boyce goes on and he explains the second unbiblical way of dealing with the struggle of sin is people look for not just a new formula, but they look for a new experience. You know, we try to avoid this struggle in the Christian life by hunting down some new spiritual experience. Now, the charismatic movement has a very kind of a corner on all this. So they say you can have a victorious Christian life. Well, if you don't, well, let me, do you speak in tongues? Do you, do you sow seed? Do you do all this stuff? And they use all this games to, to, to whet people's appetite. And somehow they think that if they buy into that, that, boy, their life is just going to be wonderful because the people up here behind the pulpit are saying, look at my life. My life's wonderful. Most of those people, you pull back the curtain and their life is anything but wonderful. They're just playing the charlatan. We have to be careful. They teach that somehow there's a second work of grace. That somehow when you come to Christ, he doesn't give you everything you need. Somehow that if you just beg him a little more, that maybe he'll baptize you in the spirit and you'll have a prayer language. You can talk like angels and you can do all these crazy things. I mean, it's bizarre. But people buy into it and follow it by the millions. Why? Because they're looking for a new experience. Because someone said, if you're a Christian, well, you shouldn't have to struggle with sin. That shouldn't be part of your, your Christian life. If I can just get one more emotional experience, if they just play the right song long enough, somehow I'll be elevated to this new level of Christianity where I don't have to deal with sin anymore. It's not going to happen. It's not a realistic expectation. It's not a biblical expectation. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of people going home from church... When they say, boy, wasn't that a wonderful, worshipful experience? They mean nothing that maybe they acquired some biblical knowledge and maybe had a little emotional boost here and there. They forget about the struggle with sin. So don't look for a new experience. God has given us everything we need right here in this book to deal with the struggle of sin. He's given us everything we need as believers in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the church and coming together in fellowship to deal with sin. The struggle with sin. But see, the problem is, we don't believe that. So when we get caught up in sin, what do we do? Rather than run to the body of Christ, confess the sin and be transparent, we run and we hide. Thinking somehow, eventually I'll just get over this and then I can re-engage with the body of Christ. That's the exact opposite that the Bible tells you to do. The Bible says, you know what, if you have an issue with somebody, if you, you go and you address that. And you get it out in the open. You be transparent. Be humble about it. Don't play games. Don't think somehow that next week you're going to be a little more spiritually clean to walk through the doors. We're all in the same boat. We're a bunch of sinners who've put our faith and trust in Christ and his forgiveness. And we desire to follow him. And the Bible says that desire should be a corporate desire. We should come together. That we should be building up the body of Christ. If you're not here, then you're not building up the body of Christ. There's something missing The Bible describes the body of Christ as our body. We all make up different parts. And when one part isn't here, when we're not participating as the body of Christ, someone's walking around without a leg or without an arm. Something's not getting done. Maybe somebody who needed some encouragement didn't get it that day because you didn't show up. Because you were too busy. Or you let your work schedule get out of hand or whatever it might be. See, we need to take this seriously. So don't be looking for some new experience. God has given us everything 
in Christ Jesus pertaining to godliness. Well, the third way he says there is avoidance, and we all do this at times. You know, we get defeated. Rather than girding up our loins and turning to attack the problem, we try to fill our lives with something else. It's a movie, it's something, it's whatever, go to the beach, whatever it might be. Sometimes it's empty busyness. It's work. Maybe it's even Christian ministry. Filling up your schedule so much you don't have to deal with the sin that's in your life. Somehow thinking out of guilt, if you just serve God long enough, that somehow this is going to go away. It won't. Just as with unbelievers, avoidance may be through alcohol, may be through drugs for some. But it doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. So don't, don't go to those three ways of dealing with this struggle with sin. You might say, boy, this seems kind of like we're spending a lot of time. Why is this so important? Because sin has consequences. Sin always has consequences. And you say, well, what are some of those consequences? First of all, the Holy Spirit's grieved. I'm not going to read all these verses. You can read them on your own. They're in your outline there. The Holy Spirit's grieved. We don't want to make God sad. We don't want to grieve the Spirit of God. Secondly, our prayers go unanswered. That's good motivation right there, right? I mean, if you're out there just sending it up, and then you go to God, and you ask, what do you, what do you think that's, you know, it's not a game. I don't think a Christian would say, yeah, I hope my prayers don't get answered. I'm going to go sin so they don't get answered. That would be a silly thing to do. Our life becomes powerless. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says that he feared the power of sin to disqualify himself from the ministry. This isn't a game. Any one of us should feel powerless outside of Christ in the face of sin. The only way to overcome it is through Christ, through his power, through the spirit, through confession, through what God tells us to do. Our praise is unacceptable. Psalmist says praise is fitting to the upright. So you can conclude that praise is not fitting for those who are not upright. God's blessing is withheld, Jeremiah 5.25. He rebuked the nation of Israel. He said, your sins have withheld good things from you. Our joy is forfeited. Psalm 51.12. When confronted with his sin, David asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. You walking around with your head in the gutter as a Christian going, woe is me, woe is me. You might want to look at your heart. Look at what's going on in your life. Is there some known sin there that you're not addressing? Seventhly, God chastens... His children. I mean, I've never heard a child of any age say, I'm going to go do something wrong so dad can spank me again. I just love it when dad spanks me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to make this a doozy because I really want him to spank. I've never heard a child say that. And yet, as believers, I think sometimes that's exactly what we do. Our spiritual growth is hindered, 1 Corinthians 3. Our service is limited. Paul says we have to have pure lives Pure vessels if we want to be used for the master's purpose. Our fellowship is polluted. 
our lives are endangered. We don't think of that much. But let me tell you, it's true. A Christian who has unrepentant, willful sin in their life continuously, don't you think for a second God may not take you out? And also, God is dishonored. I mean, we need to have hearts, like the psalmist says, that as the, the deer pants after the water brooks, so our soul pants after God. We need to understand that this is important because sin is real. It's real for every one of us. And we need to believe that the only way we can overcome that, the only way we can overcome that and have victory is through Christ. If we leave it to ourselves, we do one of two things. Either we create a gospel of works so that our salvation depends upon our own righteousness and our own sanctification and our own ability to keep the rules that we think are important. We either do that or we retreat into this passivity and say, well, you know, the battle's God's and, and there's nothing I can really do to achieve victory, so I'll just sit back and let God do the work and let sin have its way. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, listen, with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Two practical things. First, if you hate your sin, if you do not hate your sin and struggle against it, you need to examine whether or not you're saved. Because those who have experienced the new birth hate their sin. And they desperately want to have victory over it. If you just shrug off sin in your life like it's no big deal. That's not a sign that the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. It's not a sign that there's an ongoing repentance in your life. Secondly, if you've trusted Christ but are defeated often by sin so that you feel in bondage to it. I want you to understand that there is hope for deliverance in Christ. Your defeats don't mean that you're not born again. We all have defeats. At the same time, we need to realize how serious our sin is and that God did not save you to live a defeated, sin-filled life. He saved you to live a holy life, just as he is holy. And we can do that through the power of his word, through the indwelling spirit, and through the power of Christ. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, we thank you for this message this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that even if there's any here who have yet to cry out to you and to be saved, there's hope. There's never not hope in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would move their hearts closer to you, that you would transform them, transform them, that you would give them the mind of Christ, that somehow that you would take the blinders off, that they could see their sinfulness and see their need of a Savior. Lord, we also pray for Christians here this morning who may be dealing with sin. Lord, you know the hearts that are represented here. And Lord, we all stand before you feeling that conviction. But Lord, we are thankful that you have provided a way out that we don't have to time and time again yield to these sinful behaviors that are dishonoring to you. 
that, Lord, you have given us a way out through Christ, that we can come to you and confess these sins. And once again, claim that forgiveness that you have already accomplished for us. So as believers, we're not called to live defeated lives, even though sometimes sin has a way with us. We pray that we would understand that victory is ours in Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.